0: Hi, and welcome live from the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. I'm Father Chris Alar, coming to you once again for what, can believe it or not, I think is our 27th consecutive Saturday Uh, of these live Explaining the Faith talks, and we are so happy you're with us. Now that my Michigan college football is not doing too good, I don't even miss anything. This is a beautiful grace for me. And as you saw on the slide today, today we're gonna tell you about something. Please, don't flick it off thinking, ah, you know, I know what a priest does. He says mass. Whoa, wait a minute. If you don't understand fully what we're gonna talk about today, You will never completely love your faith and that is the meaning of the priesthood things we absolutely have to know and um we got some we're going to talk about the scandal we're going to talk about how that could be allowed to happen we're going to talk about a lot of stuff here so stay with us Uh, this is all part of my divine mercy explaining the faith series as you can see on your screen please i've released the first 13 talks if you'd like to get this on dvd you can call 1-800-462-7426 or visit shopmercy.org or finally if you'd like to live stream it you also can on thedivinemercy.org explaining the faith okay god bless again everybody now we're going to start with a prayer right from saint faustina today and it's going to be a prayer for priests now if you are angry and i'm i know there are many justifiable reasons that if you've been hurt by a priest, that you are angry. This is um, uh, very unsettling and something we're gonna talk about. But we need to pray for our priests, okay? And we're gonna um, gonna go through all the things of the rule and how you to understand your faith is through the priesthood. Let us begin with a prayer then that was given to us by St. Faustina to pray for priests. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Saint Faustina's prayer for priests. O my Jesus, I beg you on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of your spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to you, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. You yourself maintain them in holiness. O divine, great high priest, may the power of your mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of your mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests for you can do all things amen and in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen this is such a critically important topic i actually should have probably did this talk week one Um, but I uh, didn't have all my study, my research, and work done. I spent, you know, uh, weeks on each talk and overlapping, and so we hope now we're bringing you something that you can learn from. All right, our next slide is the infamous St. John Vianney, and you can see his picture there on the left, and what is that on the right? That's actually his incorrupt heart. That's actually the heart of John Vianney. Now... Why do I show that? Because his heart was what transformed ours in France. You know him as the curie of ours. all right, During the French Revolution, I put him up there because that's the kind of priest we need today. This is what we need with everything rocking the church, the confusion, the scandals, the problems, um, the unfaithfulness. We need this. We don't need weak, effeminate priests, but we need soldiers. We need real men. And this is what we need to pray for. Priests that can stand up and fight, not just the evil one, but secular society and the lies that are being told to our Catholic faithful and the confusion. You know, um, in Vietnam, my father told me that You know, the Vietnamese snipers, the North Vietnamese snipers, were so um, disciplined that they would sometimes sit for days, hidden, as they would watch entire groups of American soldiers walk by. And they wouldn't fire a shot until they got one chance to shoot an officer. And then when they shot the officer, that is what wrecked havoc. The priest is the officer in our ranks, so we don't want to necessarily tear them all down. Yes, we are broken. There are many mistakes priests make, but when, when the scripture tells us, Mark 14 verse 25, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, and so this is what's going on now. The evil one, He is after priests, obviously, more than ever, more than anyone else. This is why they need your help. The snares and the traps that he sets, he sets for all of us, for every human, but especially for the souls of priests. I told that story once before, that right before I was ordained, I went to an old Dominican priest for confession. And I said in the confession that I was going to be ordained the next day. And he said are you ready for this?" And naively, I said, I think so. And he said, just remember, tomorrow night at this time, your wanted poster will be in the post office of hell. And I'm like, gee, thanks, Father. But he was right. This is what we have to pray. It's not easy being a priest today. I can tell you airport stories that are unbelievable. Um, Just before COVID, when I was flying all the time, going around talking about divine mercy, uh, I was racing to a connector flight and this guy jumps up and blocks me. And I'm carrying two full bags and my arms are full and I go to the left, he goes to the left. I go to my right, he goes to my right. And he wouldn't let me through. And he he said, where are you going? And I says, to Chicago. And I'm wondering what's going on. And he says, you mean you're not going to Washington, D.C. to get your hands slapped with all you other pedophile priests and your sick, abusive children? I looked at him. I said, sir, I've never, nor will I ever, ever abuse a child. This is unacceptable. I understand your pain. But please don't think this is all priests. It's not. And that's what most the media will tell us. The world hates the priesthood. Now, as I mentioned, some of it is justified. We, We have justified anger. Our Lord had justified anger at the money changers. We have justified anger at those priests that have abused. There is no excuse unacceptable, should never be tolerated. There's no case ever it should have been concealed or they should have been left in ministry. There is no question. But the world, because of those few bad apples, now hates the priesthood but it hated the priesthood long before those scandals became public. So if you say, well, the world, Father, only hates the priesthood because of the scandals and they deserve it. Yeah, but... The world hated the priest way before a single scandal went public. Why? The world hates it because look at the next slide. Jesus, the high priest. Most hatred is because of what the priesthood represents. Look at that image there. That's Jesus as the high priest. That is why most people hate the priesthood because what it represents is Christ. Now let's go to our next slide the next slide this is Jesus telling us at the last supper that the world hated both him and the father so they're gonna hate you who's he talking to the first priests so Jesus is making it clear the world hates me and the father and they're gonna hate you too Please, let us not be one of those who hate those priests, especially the priests who are trying with everything they got to do good and to to save souls. So hopefully, after this talk, you, you know, I understand the pain, I do, but hopefully after this talk, you'll at least understand what a priest, a good priest, is trying to do. Now, I want to say just a few more words on the scandal, and I, I'm not going to focus on this, I promise. I'm going to do a whole nother talk coming up on the pre-scandal. But the exposure and the news media blowing this up really did need to happen. What are you talking about, Father? No, the exposure, it needed to happen. Because you can either clean up your own house or somebody else is going to do it for you. And the church needed to clean up her own house and she wasn't doing it, and therefore the exposure happened. So in a way, it's good. Expose the, the, the lies, the cheating, the deceptions, and expose it. So in a way, it's good. The scandal's like a cut. If you cut yourself, you notice that like a cut, the wound has to be exposed to the air to heal. And so this wound in the church should have been and needed to be exposed so that it could be purified. Remember, the bride must be purified to resemble her betrothed. And right now, the bride, the church, who's the bride of Christ, is being crucified. Yes, many of the reasons are its own fault, but also because the world hates it as another Christ. Both reasons. We are in the crucifixion phase, and it hurts. It hurts. We cannot expect to not go through the crucifixion. Christ did. There can be no resurrection without a crucifixion, without the pains of Good Friday. So this is why, next slide, it breaks Jesus's heart when those he has called as his priests turn away from his love. And this is what's happened in the scandal. This crushes our Lord Those who have chosen. The priesthood is received from God, chosen by God, not by the man. I tell you one thing, I certainly didn't call myself. I didn't want to leave my home and my business and my fiancé. My parents tried everything to stop me from coming. My mom cried for three days. My dad said I'd never make it as a priest. I was making tons of money, had a great business. I was living on a lake with a home, a beach home, and, and, uh, or a house lake, and a business, and, and a, a beautiful fiance. I didn't, I didn't want to be called. But I tell you, thank goodness I wasn't the one who chose the calling because I never would have had the grace to persevere. God gives the grace. And so people will say, well, Father, then if God calls the priests, then how do you explain these horrible priests? That's a great question. Most of those who were involved in the scandal, in fact, you could almost say all of them, were called. Well, Father, how could God call somebody like that? Didn't he call Judas? The problem is, those who are called, when they rejected the grace, they're like Judas. They were still called. Judas was called. He rejected the grace. All of these priests, Father, they shouldn't have been priests. No, he, they were called. They rejected the grace. There is no excuse. As I said, it can't be hidden, they need to be removed. However, the media, out of hate for Christianity, has made this look like it's only a Catholic problem. Some of the lies that have come out on on the media have been traumatic, not only to the church itself, but to individual priests who are innocent. I know two of them myself. Do you know that only 1% out of 44,000 Catholic priests are abusers? Now, that's still too many. One is too many. 0.0001% is too many. But the general population that is actually abusers is 4%. So actually, statistically, the church, a priest, is way less statistically an abuser than the general public. Now, there should be none. I'm not saying that. But here's a fact you may not know. 85% of all sexual abuse happens in the family, 85%. Now these people are married, so it's not a celibacy issue. 14% happens in public schools and extracurricular activities, and only 1%, that's still too many, in religious institutions. And of that 1%, the Catholic Church is on the bottom. Now, am I justifying this? Am I excusing it? Absolutely not. Until we have every single priest in this world living faithful to his vows and not abusing a single child, can we ever stop? But you know, 95%, this is proven, you can look up these numbers, 95% of cases are 30 to 50 years old. The John Jay Report, you can look that up, stated, That since 2008, there's only been on average of seven credible accusations per year. That's seven too many. But it certainly isn't like Brother Mark and I have to read on our comments quite often every night that every priest is a raping pedophile. There's a big difference. The majority are not pedophiles. The vast majority, this is not a pedophile problem. Almost every case is a post-puberty problem called a febophilia, which is actually homosexual. Does that excuse it? No. There should be no homosexual activity, none. But these are post-puberty. They are teenagers, young adults, still wrong, still unacceptable. But the media will never tell you about that part because they've embraced the homosexual act. And so this is what the church has to stand up and say. We have a homosexual problem. It's not a pedophilia problem. The media has turned it. Actually, statistically, the church, believe it or not, is statistically one of the safest places for your children. So that's all I want to say on that. And if you have been a victim, my goodness, you are in my prayers, and I am offering my Mass today for you. My mass is being offered for any victims of the church, because it's that terrifying and unacceptable. And so my heart goes out. I pain with you, especially if you or your children have been abused. Now, we have to be careful, though, because criticizing all priests because of it also brings sin upon ourselves. As I tell my dad, who was a Vietnam Marine. And he called me the other day to tell me it was happy birthday of the Marine Corps. I remember telling him when the first scandal broke out in 2002, and my dad was furious, pounding his fists. And he said, that's it. I'm leaving the Catholic Church. And I understood his anger. But I asked him, as a military man, if he believed in the U.S. military. He said, of course. I said, Dad, do you ever think they haven't had a bad general? The military's had many bad generals. MacArthur, horrible. General Custer from my own hometown, horrible. These are bad generals. But, Dad, you didn't leave the military because of those bad generals. You believed in the mission. It was stood for the truth, justice, and freedom. And you didn't leave the military because of any of those bad generals. All right, so you don't leave Jesus because of Judas. Because Jesus doesn't leave us when we are Judases. So again, I'm sorry, I don't want to keep talking about this because this is not my intent today, but I felt it had to be discussed. We'll do a whole other talk on this later. But the church <clears throat> isn't just now becoming invalid father the church is just now reaching a point where it's invalid in the world it's unimportant in the world it's just reaching that point now that's not true there's always been some bad priests this goes right back to the bible I'm not justifying and i'm just explaining this is broken humanity do you know adam had a priestly role in the garden he was supposed to take care of the garden just like the old testament priests were to take care of the temple He failed at that. What about Aaron, the very first high priest, the brother of Moses, and the grandson of Levi, from which the tribe of priests come? He failed. He led his people into the idol worship of the golden calf. What about Simon Peter? He failed twice. First of all, he was called Satan by Jesus, And then he denied Jesus three times. Judas, he was a priest. He failed. He betrayed our Lord. The apostles all abandoned our Lord in the garden, Gethsemane. And the Jewish priests, they all failed. They failed to recognize Jesus when he came. And they are the ones that led to the crucifixion of our Savior. They failed. Only one of the apostles, John, stayed at the cross. All the others ran away. They failed. So across the history of the church, we have seen the priesthood full of great saints, but also sinners, bad sinners. Priests are human. They have a range of struggles, so please pray for them. They are trying to do their best. Like Christ, the church is both human and divine. So please don't forget this. Don't leave the church because in her divine nature, she will always teach you the truth. She's the way to heaven. In her human nature, she can fail because our human nature is broken. So despite all these faults of the priest that I just read you, he is still in persona Christi in the person of Christ. And I want to show you a quick video. I got three short videos for you today. And I want to show you the first one that I thought was a great little thing. I show my catechism class. You guys are basically now my catechism class for the last 28 weeks. I want to start thinking of this, and we're going to start taking live questions. I want to figure out a way. Um, But you're like my catechism class. I want to teach you guys the faith. Let's watch this quick little video clip that does that. What is a
1: Catholic priest? There are priests in most religions. Priests are seen as mediators between God and men. They instruct people, sanctify the people, and offer sacrifices on behalf of them. Priests also existed in Judaism, and they did the same thing. They instructed people, sanctified them, and offered sacrifices on their behalf. Now, Christianity comes from Judaism. That's why we have priests who... Wait a minute. No. No. In Christianity, something changes. Here there is only one priest, namely Jesus Christ. Just like other priests, Christ instructed the people, sanctified them, and offered a sacrifice. But he did all of this in such a perfect way that nothing can actually be added to it. Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and man. And no wonder, being true God and true man. But since Jesus is the perfect mediator who, risen from the dead, dies no more, there's only one single high priest in the new covenant, Christ. Hmm. But then who are all these men in black shirts and robes? What are Catholic priests? Well, it's like this. We have already said that Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice on the cross. He gave up His life out of love for mankind. In order that the sacrifice of the cross may remain present and continue to sanctify mankind, Jesus instituted the sacrament of the Eucharist at the Last Supper, which we call the sacrifice of the Mass. As was said before, it is not a new sacrifice, but rather the making present of the sacrifice of the cross. The actual priest offering the sacrifice of the Mass is indeed Christ Himself. He is the sacrifice and the one who sacrifices. He gives Himself to the Heavenly Father. So far, so good. But everything that happens at Mass isn't just something purely spiritual, but a sacrament, that is, a visible sign instituted by Christ. And if in the Holy Eucharist the sacrifice is represented through the species of bread and wine, then the one who sacrifices should also be represented in some way. And this is precisely what the sacramental priesthood does. The ordained priest is there in order to represent Christ, to make Christ present and to make him visible. The ordained priest doesn't act in his own name. Rather, through his ordination, he participates in the one priesthood of Christ. Consecrated into the one priesthood of Christ, he acts in personae Christe, as it is called in Latin. This makes the priest in the Catholic understanding completely different from any priest in any other religion. The Catholic priest as a man doesn't offer for himself or for other people. He doesn't act in his own name or on account of his own personal holiness. No, in celebration of the sacraments and especially in the celebration of the Eucharist, he makes Christ present. The moments in which he is most a priest are the moments he is least himself. Sounds mystical, and it is.
0: Okay, isn't that an awesome clip? That's the longest clip I have. I have two much shorter little clips. But I thought that did a great job of explaining the basics of the priesthood. You know, I believe we are seeing a renewal of the priesthood. Because we went through that crucifixion phase. And I believe we're starting to get through that. Why? The renewal of the priesthood is taking place through two ways. Divine mercy and Mary. This is how they're taking place. Let's look at our next slide this is the answer jesus and mary the divine mercy so we have these two spiritual weapons and you know what's interesting divine mercy and mary are uniquely the two areas of focus of the marians of the immaculate conception every other men's religious order has some charism and for us to be focused on bearing, first of all, the first community to bear the title, the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. The Immaculate Conception, the first time that title was used was our community, 350 years ago. And we are the ones who brought divine mercy to the world through St. Faustina. You can't get two more important spiritual weapons. These define who the Marian fathers are, and as our Marian helpers, you who are watching... And if you're not a and helper, at the end, I'll show you how to be when there's no cost or anything like that. You can help save the world. A priest must have a devotion to Mary, but so should you. You know, the priest, let me tell you, Jesus talked about the priest to St. Faustina in diary number 1521. He said, tell my priests, That hardened sinners will repent on hearing their words, meaning the priests, when they speak about my mercy. About the compassion I have for them in my heart. To priests who proclaim and extol my mercy. That's us Marian fathers. I will give wondrous power. I will anoint their words and touch the hearts of those to whom they will speak. This is what Father Kaz and I are trying to do. Bring through these live streams mercy and all the other Miriam priests out at the parishes in Kenosha or Chicago area. Please listen to their words of mercy. We need these kinds of priests. And I said, I believe there is a renewal going underway. This is what the kind of priest we need in the church, focused on Mary and divine mercy. Now I said, it may not look like it, but I truly believe we're seeing a renewal and we already are here in the Marian Fathers. We hear about other communities that haven't had vocations for years, dioceses that have hardly any vocations. We're bursting at the seam. Do you think that's coincidental? We're getting so many vocations. We're having to build new buildings to house them. We're getting so many vocations. And I believe it's because we are about Mary and divine mercy. Now, this clip I'm going to show you is less than a minute. It's very short, but this will give you an idea of what I'm talking about. And if you're part of our our Marian helpers, God bless you because you're the reason this is possible. Take a look at this less than a minute video.
2: The Church, now more than ever, needs holy priests, men who will sacrifice everything for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls. What attracts so many men to the Marians is that we are Orthodox, Marian, Eucharistic, and Apostles of Divine Mercy.
0: Our men belong entirely to Mary.
3: We are honored to bear her name three times in our official
2: title.
0: The Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception
2: of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary. They want
1: to be holy priests. Help them answer the Lord's call.
0: Please support our Marian Seminarians. isn't that awesome? And, and did you see Brother Mark there on the last frame? He was the one in the tie. So he's the one that's making all these live streams happen. So, um, you know, it's awesome because God loves his priests and he's always calling them to be better, to repent. And we're seeing this at the Marian Fathers. God bless all of you for your prayers and support of them. Now, the Catechism talks about this. 1548. It says that Christ is the source of all priesthood. Father, you keep talking about these men. What about Jesus? We're getting there because he's the basis of all of it. Now, the priests of the Old Testament were a figure of Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ. Then we had Christ, the true high priest. And now today in the New Testament, we have the priests who are in the person of Christ, in persona Christi, because Christ had to ascend back to the Father. He wasn't going to leave the world alone. He needed to leave somebody in his place. When you travel or go away, don't you sometimes, if you're the boss at work, leave somebody in your place? You always delegate. Every time I get an out-of-office reply email, it says, I'm out of the office. Call such-and-such person. They're taking my place. Jesus did the same thing. The people of God have always had priests to mediate between them and God. Well, wait a minute, Father, Jesus is the only mediator. Yes, this is true. But because Christ's body is the church, we go through the church, which is his body. So when you go through his body, you're going through Christ as the one mediator. The priest offers sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. It has been this way since ancient biblical times. Our non-Catholic Christian brothers have completely lost that understanding that a priest is needed because he makes atonement for the people's sins and he officiates the liturgy, not just a prayer service, which is what most non-Catholic services have become just praise and worship and singing and praying. That's beautiful. We need it. But there's not a formal act of worship, of consecration, of sacrifice, of of the meal and the sacrifice, which is the mass. All right. At mass, you offer along with the priest your sacrifice. What's going on at the mass? The priest is offering the ultimate sacrifice. Remember the Mass is both a meal and a sacrifice. That altar is a table, a table for the meal, the bread, and the wine, but it's also the sacrifice of Christ with his body and blood. Now, at Mass, you are to offer your sacrifice, your love, excuse me, your life, The offer the sacrifice of your lives to the Father in union with Christ who's offering his sacrifice to the Father. This is when the priest holds up the patent and the chalice, and he says, through him and with him and in him, O God Almighty Father. That's the sacrifice that Christ is making of himself to give back to the Father in atonement for our sins and the sins of the whole world. That's the prayer of the chaplet. You too are to unite in that sacrifice and offer all yourself, your joys, your hopes, your, your praise, your peace, your sorrows, your pains, your sufferings, your excitements, you offer them up. Now, all Catholic priests operate in in persona Christi capitis, which means in the person of Christ, the head. This is important because Christ was a man, and I don't want to get into this topic, we'll talk about this some other time. The priest is also in the person of Christ, who was a man, That's why the church state that they don't have the authority to ordain anybody but men, not because they're sexist. In fact, a cloistered nun can have a higher calling than a diocesan priest. I've talked about this in the way of life. But by the sacrifice, the priest is the in persona Christi capitis, which means in the person of Christ, the head. And Christ was a man. That's why the the man is The priest women you have a role in a spiritual motherhood that is different but critically important you know that it's 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 not the role for the men to be the spiritual mother or the mother to be the uh, spiritual father those belong to the priests the spiritual fathers that's why we call them father and i'll talk about that in a minute why they says don't father, don't call, or, don't call anybody father. I get that question all the time. We'll talk about that. But anyway, if any woman could have been a priest, it would have been Mary, right? You know, um, why not? Why wasn't Mary a priest? All right, we're going to go to the Bible. We're going to talk about the Old Testament priesthood first. All right, let's look at our next slide. Did you know that there are three kinds of priests? Here's the Old Testament priest. All right. Take a look there. What's going on? You have the pagans challenging, and you have the high priest. Let's go through who the priests were in the Old Testament. First was Aaron, the high priest. He came from the tribe of Levi. Levi was his grandpa. And Aaron's brother was Moses. So you hear the tribe of Levi. That means the priests. Levi was the grandpa. Aaron was his grandson. Moses was his brother. And Aaron became the first high priest, so we had that kind of priest. Then the priest that came from Aaron, the line of Aaron, was another group of priests. And then all the Israelites, believe it or not, shared in the priesthood. And so do you in the common priesthood of Christ. We'll talk about that. Now, this tribe of Levi, or the priests as we have it, An important factor here. Because they're going to play into this. I'm going to explain to you right now. This might get a little confusing, but stay with me. Where did the priesthood come from? All right. Jesus came from the line of David. You might have heard this. Jesus comes from his father, David. The line of David. But was David a priest? No, David was a king. So Jesus also is a king. He comes from the line of David but wait a minute, Father, who are the priests then? As I said, Levi. And, 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 and then, Father, why didn't Jesus come from the tribe of Levi? They were the priests. Okay. Yes, it's true that in most of the Old Testament, priests and kings were not the same. You were either one or the other. If you were a king, you came from the line of David. If you were a priest, you came from the line of Levi. So, so this is what we have to understand was very important. Now, it was prophesied that the Messiah was going to be a king. So all the Jews believed that the king or the Messiah was going to be a king and not a priest. This is why when Jesus came to Jerusalem, riding the donkey, they worshipped him or they reverenced him as a king, but not yet as a priest. It wasn't until the last supper that christ revealed himself as a priest but how could he do this when they normally the kings weren't the priest jesus professed himself as both a king from david and a priest now how do we know this the book of hebrews is the only place in the bible where jesus is called not just a king but a priest hebrews seven seventeen. The Messiah, or Jesus, was a priest, not after the order of Aaron and Levi, where the most priests came from, but according to the order of Melchizedek. You may have heard that term. Let's look at our next slide. Who was Melchizedek and what was his significance? He's in Genesis and Hebrews. Very important. He's even in the Psalms, Psalm 110 is Melchizedek was representative of the priestly line, now notice this, priestly line, which a king of David's line would come. Now that means Melchizedek was a king and a priest, Yes, the order of Melchizedek means the firstborn is both going to be a king and a priest. Well, wait a minute, Father. What are you talking about Levi then and and David and the kings and and the priests being separate? Melchizedek came before any of them. Melchizedek was a priest during the age of patriarchs, way before Levi or David. And he blessed Abraham. And so this means that he was greater than Abraham and Abraham's descendants, Levi and David. He was appointed. He was an appointed priest directly by God, whereas the descendants were just by blood. Again, he was chosen directly by God. So was Jesus. So in the original form of the priesthood, It was of the order of Melchizedek, and that is what Hebrews tells us Jesus comes from. He comes not from the line of David, in the line of the Levite priests, but actually from Melchizedek. Melchizedek is critically important because he blessed Abraham, meaning he was a priest, but it also tells us he was the king of Salem. This is why evil likes to attack Salem, you know, Salem's lot, All this evil junk. Salem actually means peace. And that's where Jerusalem comes from. So, Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which became Jerusalem. Way ahead of any of these other guys. He is a king and a priest of Salem who blessed Abraham. And then it says he offered up sacrifice of bread and wine. Oh my goodness, this is what Christ is. So Christ predates all those Old Testament priests and kings because he comes from a special order that predates those kings and priests. Some believe, like Scott Hahn, that Melchizedek may have been Noah's first son, named Shem. Because it says in Genesis that Shem lived all the way past Abraham. He would have been hundreds of years old when Abraham was 75, but it's possible. So this priest of Melchizedek is very important because it also only required one single sacrifice forever. That's what Jesus did. So the Levitical priesthood, they make animal sacrifices over and over. But yet in Genesis 14, Melchizedek offered one sacrifice of bread and wine like we do at the mass. We don't do it over and over, believe it or not, we're doing that one sacrifice with Christ, one sacrifice on the cross at every Mass. We're at Calvary. We're there, we're present at Calvary. So the bread and the wine is important. In the heavenly sanctuary, Jesus offers his, uh, to his Father the bread and the wine that now become his body and blood. So our Catholic, Catholic faith finds its roots in this tradition. This is Catechism 1544. Now, let's take it to the New Testament. The New Testament priesthood, very important. Now, in the New Testament, Hebrew says that Christ is the only high priest. So, Father, why are we getting involved with all these men, as you watched in the video, running around in black shirts and white collars? Christ is the only high priest. This is where the Protestants stop. They say there is no more priesthood. It's Jesus is the only high priest. Okay, yes, Jesus is the high priest. This is true. But the Bible itself tells us that from Jesus, there are other priests, ministerial priests like me, and the common priesthood like you. Remember I said in ancient Israel, they had Aaron the high priest, Then they had the line of Aaron. That's like the ministerial priest. And they had the royal priesthood of all the other Israelites. That's like the common priesthood. We have the exact same thing today as the Old Testament. Instead of Aaron the high priest, it's Jesus the high priest. Then from the line of priests come all the ordained priests from Jesus and the apostles. And then all of Israel was the royal priesthood. All of you Catholics, by virtue of your baptism or Christians, are in the common priesthood. It makes perfect sense. All right? Now, I am part of the ministerial priesthood, so I can offer sacrifice on that altar. Not because I deserve it or I, I, I earned it. Of course not. Just because God ordained me for that purpose. You're ordained in a way for other purposes in your state in life. But you do share by virtue of your baptism in the three offices of Christ. Priest, prophet, and king. And what does a priest do? A priest offers sacrifice. I, as a ministerial priest, offer the bread and wine to become the body and blood. Well, Father, I'm not a priest. Yes, you are. You share in the common priesthood, just like all the Israelites shared in the priesthood of Aaron. You share in the common priesthood of Christ. My goodness, the connection is amazing. And that means you can offer sacrifice. Well, Father, I can't go up to the altar and say mass. No, that's a ministerial priest. But look at our next slide. You see the chaplet of divine mercy? Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Are only priests allowed to pray that prayer? No, you can too. That is you offering sacrifice. You can do this because by virtue of your baptism, powerful stuff. So the essence of the Old Testament covenant was that a priest offered sacrifice, but usually of animals and animal blood to expiate for sin. But now let's look at the unique connection here. I want to show you something amazing. If you're ready to turn this off, hang with me for one more minute. (laughs) Look at this next slide. What is this? This is the angel of death going from house to house. And if there's no blood on the doorposts of the slain animal, the lamb, it will take the firstborn child. If it finds the blood spread over the doorposts, it will pass over the house. That's where the word Passover comes from. Now listen to John Chrysostom, St. John Chrysostom. The angel of death fled when he simply saw the sacrifice of animal blood on the doorposts of homes of believers. This blood, look at the picture, this blood came from the sacrifice of Old Testament priests. They sacrificed lambs. Now look at our next slide. How much more will the devil flee When he sees the true blood from the high priest, the real lamb. This is Jesus Christ. How much more will the devil flee when he sees the true blood from the true high priest? Not any lamb, the lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It's not symbolic blood anymore. It's his actual blood. And what John Chrysostom says is amazing. He says, how much more will the devil flee when he sees that true blood on the doorpost of your soul? What's the doorpost of your soul? Not around the physical door, your lips. So when you receive Holy Communion and the precious blood is on your lips, the doorpost to your soul is being protected from the angel of death. This is incredible. How could we not see the value of what we are given in the Mass? The doors of our soul are guarded by the blood, just like the Old Testament blood was put on the doorpost. Your blood of the precious blood, Lord Jesus Christ, protects my soul on the doorposts of my soul, my lips. So Jesus is now this new priest, this high priest once and for all. But how do we know that that priesthood, like non-Catholics think, ended with Jesus. They believe it with Jesus, it ended. No, it was handed down at the Last Supper. How do we know that? How do I know that it was handed down at the Last Supper? I bet you this answer is going to surprise you. Do you know how it was handed down at the Last Supper? Well, yes, Father, he consecrated. True, do this in remembrance of me. But there's another tie to the Old Testament that we know that Christ handed on the priesthood. And you know how we know that? look at your next slide. Surprising. The washing of feet. This is Exodus 40. Christ washed their feet. Just like Exodus 40, it was done at priestly ordinations of Aaron and those of his sons. So look at this picture. In the Last Supper, Christ ordained them by washing their feet and delegated powers to these apostles. The powers of the priesthood to these apostles. Now the priest has the same power as Christ, not because it comes from him, but because Christ delegated it to him. He is in persona Christi. Christ had to ascend to the Father, so he isn't going to leave us alone. So how was he present to us? By the Eucharist. Okay, but you don't have the Eucharist without the priest. We have to have the priest. In the confessional, yes, it's Jesus in there, but I always ask my catechism class, guys, in the confessional, is it the priest who forgives your sins? And even my adults say, no. The answer is yes. Not because the priest did anything to deserve it, but because Christ gave him that power. He delegated it to him. Christ forgave sins here on earth to show that he had ultimate authority. And when you have ultimate authority, you have the power to delegate it. Father, how do you know Christ gave him that power? Well, all you have to do is open your Bible, Matthew 16, 19, Matthew 18, 18, John 20, 23, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. I'm sorry, I get so passionate about this, whose sins you retain are retained. When you have ultimate authority, you have the power to delegate it. Remember I just told you when I send an email and somebody's left work, they say, I've delegated my authority to Sarah. She is now taking over. Or to John, he is now taking over. When I would go somewhere on my business and I would leave, I'd say, Brian, while I'm gone, you're in charge. If there's somebody to hire, you hire. Somebody to fire, you fire. If there's a bill to pay, you pay it. Did he do anything to deserve that? No, I built the business. I started it. I founded it. I delegated him that power. That's what Christ has done with the priest. In confession, the priest was given that power, not from him, through him. If confession is not needed by a priest, grant, Christ granting them this power would have been totally insignificant. Why would Christ have done it? If you don't need the priest to forgive you in the confessional, it would have been wasting his time. So this is why we look at our next slide. I love this painting. Look at this. The power doesn't come from the priest. Look at this. It's God's power through the priest. You see that happening? But you need the priest because this is how Christ set it up whose sins you forgive are forgiven. You're in my place. He's not going to say, I'm putting you in my place, but I'm going to let you do numbers one, five, and seven, but on my list, numbers two, four, and six, you can't do. No, he's going to give them the power to do everything he could do in a priestly ministry sense. Not to die for us, not to redeem us. That's his job as the high priest. Now, jesus said the apostles and the who were then the priests had the authority and that's how he set it up but other people said okay father i'll grant you then the priesthood didn't stop with jesus he gave it to the apostles okay but then it stopped with them not not so fast how in the world then could we be forgiven jesus said to the first priests they had the authority Apostles had the power from Christ, and the power they also were given was to delegate it. Believe it or not. If you say, well, Father, the priest had died with the apostles. No, because he also gave them the power to delegate it. Just like he had the power to delegate it, he held nothing back from them, and he gave them the power to delegate it. How do they do it? Priestly ordinations. How do we know this? Turn to Acts of the Apostles. Who was Matthias? Jesus didn't pick Matthias as an apostle, the other apostles did. They exercised that authority Christ gave them. And every time they ordained somebody, they laid hands on him. So Jesus laid hands on the apostles. And then in turn, those apostles laid hands on other men. And then in turn, those apostles laid hands on other men, all the way down to every living priest today. When I was ordained a priest, Bishop Holly lays his hands on me. I can be traced physically back to Jesus Christ. That's mind-boggling. Forgiveness in that confessional, because the priest has its authority, is guaranteed when the priest says, and I absolve you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's no wondering if I'm absolved, hoping I'm absolved. You are guaranteed forgiveness or Jesus is a liar and nobody is going to claim that. All right, now, christ commanded the apostles and preach as you go saying quote the kingdom of heaven is at hand heal the sick cleanse the lepers cast out demons raise the dead you received without pay give without pay go that's what the priest does he was given this authority jesus gave him authority to do all this well, Father, I've never seen a priest raise somebody from, from the dead. Oh yeah? Go to one confessional. You were raised from the dead. If you were in a state of mortal sin, you were dead. And he says here, praise, raise from the dead, cleanse, cast out demons. That's exorcists. Heal the sick. We see that at healing masses. Raise the dead. Every confessional is a resurrection from the dead. That's the priest. You received, now go, give. He chose them to offer sacrifice at the Last Supper. How? Do this in memory of me. He chose to make them disciples of all nations. He said, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why the priest baptizes. The apostles had successors just as the apostles were successors of Jesus. As I said, go to the Bible, Matthias and others. So the priest is like Christ on all things except sin. But father, wait a minute, I'm not going to call you father because the Bible says call nobody your father. I am amazed that this is the number one complaint I think I get as a priest. It boggles my mind how many of these emails I get and comments, it, 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 it shocks me, but it's okay. I want to explain it again. To call no one your father, Jesus did not mean to call no one in an, a, a, a father. It seems like a contradiction, yes, but he didn't mean to say, never say the word father or not to refer to someone as your earthly father. My gosh, what about the fourth commandment? Honor your father and your mother jesus means that there's only one creator one true abba father meaning creative father my goodness the fourth commandment tells us we have earthly fathers remember the rich man calling out father abraham come dip his finger in cool water this is the parable of luke sixteen twenty four saint paul calls religious leaders fathers in acts 7-2 and acts 22-1 saint paul says to the corinthians i became your father that's like uh, star wars right luke i became your father so did paul say that a priest is a spiritual father to many in the congregation this is why we call them father like christ though The priest doesn't have to marry to be a father, all right? Because his bride is the church. We cannot serve two wives. There is no way. One of the hardest things I thought about being a priest was not going to be able to be married. I tell you, it is impossible that I could be married. The wisdom of the church is phenomenal. There is no way I could do what I do and be married. It would be so unfair to my wife. Right now, my ministry every day is 6 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week. And thank goodness I had people like Brother Mark helping me because I write every talk, research it, study it, manage 70 people at the Marian Helper Center, do sick calls, do all of everything that a priest needs to do. You can't do that and have two wives. Our wife is the church. This is why that movement to end celibacy is not fully informed. All right. Now, Christ is the groom. We know this. The, ma- the, the bride, us, is the church. It's a nuptial agreement. You've heard me say this before. You've heard me say when you come forward up this aisle, you're making your wedding march. You are the bride and who's waiting for you in a Catholic wedding, your groom. And later that night, the two become one. It's the same at Mass. When you come up this aisle, you are the bride who's waiting for you, the groom, Jesus. And just like the conjugal act of the wedding that night, Christ the groom enters into you, the bride. That's how it's so important. The Bible begins with a wedding, Adam and Eve. And you know what ends with a wedding? The wedding feast of the Lamb. The last passage, or excuse me, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. It's not about the Antichrist. It's not about the, the rapture. It's about the Mass. And this is where I want to finish today. Talking about the mass, let's look at our next picture. Here is the beauty of the shrine when it's full. (laughs) Here it is when we used to have people here. keep praying that our church is open. Oh my. But our Lord says where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in your midst. I know there are more than three people gathered in this web broadcast, in this live stream. So Christ is in our midst. The mass though, is the best form so join us every day at 9 a.m you can join us for the mass the mass is communal worship it's not about entertainment the priest is not an entertainer i'm not gonna as i said before ride a unicycle and juggle at the last supper christ instituted the mass as an eternal sacrifice and a meal he's the lamb now Notice this, meal and sacrifice. This is very important. For the meal, at the Catholic Church, we use bread and wine and water, just like Christ did. Bread and wine and water were the elements Christ used. We in the Catholic Mass use that. The priest uses that, just like Jesus. Now the sacrifice, what about that? The public worship through the offering of objects or animals has always been the essence of all religions from the beginning of time. Sacrifice. In horror, even bad sacrifices have been given like in Aztec ceremonies and stuff like that. But offering of something tangible has always been part of it. There's always been a sacrifice ever since the beginning of human history. The very nature, though, of a sacrifice requires a priest. Now, if it's a true sacrifice, that priest is to be ordained by God to offer that sacrifice. So no priest... No sacrifice. It was always this way in the church. There was a meal and a sacrifice. It wasn't until the 1500s that the Protestants began to reject the idea of a sacrificial mass and a meal and replace it with just focus on music and prayer. That didn't happen for 1500 years Yes, Jesus is the one sacrifice and the one sacrificing. Jesus is the one being sacrificed and he's the one offering. He's both, think about this for a minute. On the cross, who was being sacrificed? Jesus. Okay, and on the cross, who was the one offering the sacrifice? Jesus. He was both the one being offered and the one offering. Now, here's what's fascinating. Today, the one being offered is still Jesus Christ. It always will be in the Eucharist. But the one offering is now the priest, as it has always been. And Christ brought them together. Wow! I wish I had much more time to go on this, but I'm sorry. I got to wrap her up here. I'm going to finish with some aspects of the Mass and what the priesthood and why he does what he does that might help you better understand the Mass. Let's take a look at a couple of these. All right, let's look at our next slide. The Catholic priest's Elb. What is this? Elb means white. That's why Divine Mercy Sunday used to be called Albis, meaning Sunday in white. You're purged of all your sins. Elb means white. You see a priest wear that garment. It's white. It also reminds the priest of his baptism. That's why the baby christened wears white. It's purity. That's why the priest puts on the white. Now he'll wear a belt around that. Elb, we call a cincture. What's the purpose of that? It symbolizes the Bible command to gird your loins. So the priest is doing that let's look at our next slide this is a chasuble and a stole all right chasuble comes from the greco-roman times why the word means house what is that father it was a cape to protect them like a house protects you in storms the chasuble was like this cape which means house to protect those inside now the stole as we saw on the screen is was crisscrossed and it still is in the extraordinary form right but to represent the cross that christ died on and the roman soldiers whose belts were crossed for their provisions and to carry their swords very interesting now what about colors i just showed you green up there what are the colors the priest wears all right, there's white or gold. When does a priest wear white or gold? This is anything to do with the resurrection. White means purity, as I told you, and giving glory to God. So when the priest wears white, it is a feast in honor of our Lord, Mary, or the saints who were not martyred. All right, the next would be red. Well, the red one means fire or blood. Why would a priest wear that? Those masses for the Holy Spirit. That is important because the church was born of blood and water, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or for the saints that were martyrs. That's the blood and the fire is the Holy Spirit. Now, what about green? We just showed you a green there. The green means hope. That is ordinary time. In ordinary time, we have hope. Then the priest also wears violet or a purple. There's two different kinds of purple. You have the Advent kind and you have that at Lent. It means penance. Both Advent and Lent are penitential seasons. And yes, the church still allows black. What is black for? Mourning, funerals. And even once in Advent and once during Lent, rose, not pink. Okay, um this is allowed in One Day in Lent, uh Lagate uh, uh, Sunday, um uh Latare Sunday, and um, those are in Advent and Lent. Okay, so different colors. Now, what about the meaning of these vestments? Here's where I want to finish. They're symbols of Christ's passion. All right, what is an amos? An amos, if you've seen a priest, is the white cloth put around his collar. If you ever notice, a priest is supposed to cover his collar at every mass. Now, sometimes the elb doesn't fit right or the collar comes down and, or the uh, elb comes down and you can see the collar. But an amice is like a white handkerchief that goes around. It's like the blindfold that Christ wore at his crucifixion. The elb we talked about that was white, meaning purity, was the garment Jesus wore while on trial and while he was being mocked and beaten. They believed he had a white garment like an alb on. What about, I talked about the cincher, the ropes. What is that meaning? They meant or symbolized the ropes that tied Jesus during his scourging. What about the stole I mentioned? The priest crisscrosses those in the old, rite. It means the cross. The chasuble I talked about, that was the seamless garment which the soldiers rolled dice. You have the whole passion in that priest, you have the whole sacrifice of Christ in the Mass. You have the resurrection in confession. You have everything given to us through the priest. At the end of this Mass, what does the priest say? Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life, or go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Ite mises, the Latin means go, being sent. This is part of your role as a Marian helper. Go, proclaim God's mercy. And if you can't, because you're homebound or you're sick, you unite with us spiritually as Marian fathers and you do it. You are helping Jesus to spread divine mercy, to shape and form hearts through his priests and the men that are being called to the Marian fathers. God bless you all. The priesthood is a special gift. I only have one quick video and then a couple last words and we are done. Let's take a look at a very good video that gives you a real powerful, it's only a couple minutes, idea again of the priesthood.
2: St. John Vianney said the priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus, meaning that Jesus loved his world he still so does. He must must be able to minister to his world to do so in a very effective and what we call efficacious way, bringing about that which, you know, Jesus' love really signifies. That's really what the priesthood is. It's living out the love of the heart of Jesus.
3: The Catholic priesthood is a life of uh, great joy. Too many people will talk about the things that one must uh, deny himself in order to become a priest, but they are really not thinking of the hundreds and hundreds of things that are given to us as priests. The priest brings Christ to the people through those things known as sacraments, signs, those signs that point to God, and those signs which enable the faithful to participate in the life of God. The priesthood has a unique mystery and a unique mission about it, in that priests, first of all, are able to enter into persons' lives in very critical times in very close ways. Times of great happiness, times of sadness and sickness. The priesthood is important today because it acts
2: as a reminder that God is truly present and in this world.
1: It brings to people uh, that needed that, that, that human interaction. Because he walked this earth, I think he knew the value and the importance of hearing from fellow human people, receiving care from fellow people. The most
3: awesome thing about the Catholic priesthood is that we are really able to make Christ present. Because the way Christ himself designed the church, priests are essential to the life of the church. Without the priests, no sacraments. Without the sacraments, there is no Catholic church.
0: We followed
1: Christ's teachings for 2,000 years. We've taught the faith.
3: Preached the gospel.
1: Provided for the poor. Buried the dead.
3: And led the world to Christ. We've faced persecution.
2: Led in science,
3: And we've cared
2: for those who others have forgotten. Through life, through death,
3: and through eternity.
2: I
1: am. I am. I am. I am and always will be. A Catholic priest.
0: Isn't that a powerful video of what a true priest does? And the beauty in that is you through prayers and support are helping the church i'm telling you right now i quoted the statistic that most 95 percent of cases are 30 to 50 years old heaven forbid that anything else happens but i tell you the guys we got coming in phenomenal these guys are true men of god and you are helping them to go out and proclaim mary and divine mercy Yes, please support any way you can, anything to do with the church. But if you really think about the two most powerful spiritual weapons, that's why I'm a Marian Father. Mary and divine mercy. And God bless every one of you, Marian helpers, that are helping us get this message. We can't do this without you. All the streaming Brother Mark's doing with the equipment came from your guys' beautiful support and prayers. The men that we have coming to us come from your prayers. So, Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. That's us priests and brothers. But did you know that he also appointed 70 others as well? I bet you didn't know that. And he appointed those 70. You are part of those 70, symbolic, that are called out to go and proclaim the message of mercy, even if it's just from your own room, by being a Marian helper. As Jesus said, quote, this is Luke 10, 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God bless all of you for doing that. Thank you to our Marian helpers. Please pray for the priesthood. And if you want to help us continue on this mission of bringing Mary and divine mercy to the world, please look at your last slide m-i-c-prayers.com it takes less than 10 seconds and there's no cost it doesn't cost anything if you just even if you can't if you can't support us even with a dime financially that's not what matters of course we need to keep lights on too and that's important but what's most important is you unite with us in prayer we pray for you. You receive the graces of all the masses, rosaries, prayers, and penances, just like you were a member of our religious community, just like you were a Marian of the Immaculate Conception. Actually, it kind of makes me jealous because some people can have wives and families and children and still get the fruits that I get having sacrificed the wife and the children and the home and the business. But that's okay. That's where God's called me to be, and I've never been happier than I am right now in my whole life. I am tired, and I get exhausted sometimes, and even impatient. But the mission God has me on is the mission of Divine Mercy and Mary. Please join us in that mission. Visit micprayers.com. And please join us in our daily mission of bringing the Mass to the world, 9 o'clock, our chaplet daily at 3, our rosary at 5, and again every Saturday live here from the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. So God bless all of you, and I hope and pray for health and well-being for all of you. And don't forget, pray for your priests. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why be a Marian helper? because we Marian fathers celebrate a mass for you and all our members each and every day. You can share in all the prayers, good works, and merits of all the Marian priests and brothers around the world. And now you can share the graces just as if you were a Marian priest or brother. Every All Souls Day, we see a mass for all the deceased members of the Association of Marian Helpers. Again, there's no way that after we die, we can help ourselves, but, We have to rely on the prayers of those here on earth and we members of the Marian Fathers will be praying for you as a deceased member of our association. You can share in the graces of the perpetual novena to the Divine Mercy. Remember Jesus told St. Faustina that the chaplet of Divine Mercy is one of the most powerful prayers we can make. And every day here at the Shrine of Divine Mercy we pray it and you can share in those graces. So if you have any questions or you want to learn more how to be a Marian Helper, please visit micprayers.com or call 1-800-462-7426. And let me personally pray for you and your loved ones. Thank you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, everyone. If you're like us in the state of Massachusetts, where our governor has extended the non-essential business closure, you're going to be at home looking for things to do. There is probably no better time ever, before or after, than right now, than to get closer to God. You see, you cannot love what you do not know. So we want to help you to love God a little bit more by knowing Him. Instead of sitting at home on your couch, watching reruns of Miami Vice like my cameraman, Giuseppe, I I, I think that we have an opportunity now more than ever to learn our faith. That is why I have produced a new video DVD series that can be used as small groups in parishes or right at home on your own couch that is called Explaining the Faith. These are my 13 favorite talks I've ever done that are regarding what we need to know about Jesus, Mary, Confession, Communion, Why would a good and loving God allow suffering and especially a walkthrough of the entire Mass from the start to the finish and everything that you need to know about it? Tell you what, here's a quick clip. In the church, it's just not come to stand, sit and kneel. It's to engage in this most incredible mystery. This is what it is. The church, what makes the Catholic Church, the Church of Christ is the sacraments. The sacraments are just symbols. They do something. They're actual grace. Sacraments, if you remember your definition from catechism, are efficacious signs, meaning efficacious, they do something. They're not just symbols. They're efficacious signs of God's grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is given to us. We have it so that Christ can enter into us and live in us. Now, if we don't receive him worthily, what happens? We lose that grace. So please consider, now is the time to get closer to God, and we're going to show you how. As I said, this DVD series has 13 talks that you'll be able to learn more and share your faith with everyone that you love to help get yourself and them to heaven. So please visit shopmercy.org or call 1-800-462-7426 to understand our faith better than ever before and to hear it explained in a way like never before. Thank you and God bless you.